All right, we are set to go for another show. We hope you are as well. John Scholes here alongside, of course, Lior Samfiru, co-founding partner Samfiru Tamarkin, LLP, the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, coast to coast to coast. You can check it out, whether you're in Ontario or BC or Alberta, practicing and listening as well and reaching out, 1-855-821-5900. Anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And I can almost guarantee there will be several references to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca on the show today, including wrapped up into that, the severance pay calculator, which over 2 million people have logged into for uh, you know less than half a minute and figured out what their severance should be. It's super handy. It's been around for years, and it is absolutely bulletproof. Again, can be found at Pocket Employment Lawyer. And we'll get into our Your Employer is Probably Making These Mistakes topic in just a bit. But uh, first, a couple cases of the day. What's uh, What's going on with you, pal? Hey, John. I haven't uh, been here on Saturday for a while, but I'm so excited to be here to talk about employment law, to talk about workplace rights, to make sure that we inform and educate everyone about the things that they need to know. So you, what an opportunity you have right now on this uh, on this show to call in with your questions to make sure that when you go back to work uh, after the weekend, things are better. You know what to do if you're facing an ultimatum or if you think your job is in jeopardy, or maybe there's an issue that's always been bugging you. It's been kind of the back of your mind. You didn't know what to do or if you should do something. Well, no need to wander anymore. Call us right now. I'll tell you what you need to know. I'll make sure that the answers are laid out for you clearly. There's answers, whether it's a severance issue, an overtime issue, a vacation issue, harassment, bullying, discrimination, you name it. There's answers, there's solutions. Law is quite good, actually, believe it or not. And we'll tell you everything you need to know about that and everything else. And, of course, calling us, you'll be helping others as well. So take advantage of that and, and do a favor to others that are listening. And, obviously, if you want to connect with me off air, because you can only go so far on radio, if you want to have a private chat or private email exchange, uh, we'll keep giving you that information throughout the show. So stay tuned for that. But let me tell you about a couple of situations that came across my desk. John, for some reason, this week was the probationary employee week. Uh I've spoken with several people, both in the office and on radio, that uh, were let go from their job during what they believed and what their employer believed to be the probationary period in the first three months of employment. It wasn't anything bad that they did with these individuals. Simply the company decided for their reasons that things weren't working out, wasn't the right fit. And none of these people were let or, or, or were paid anything, the company said, well, you know, it's probationary period. It's our right to part ways. We don't have to pay you anything other than uh, wish you all the best in the future. So I've spoken with a few people in that situation, and the cons- consistent theme with, with these individuals was the fact that they actually were not on probation. And the reason they were not on probation is because of the fact that probation is not automatic. You are not on probation unless you sign an employment agreement that specifically says you're on probation and specifically says that you can be let go without any compensation in the first three months. So if you have not signed something that says that specifically, you're not on probation. And that means even in the first 90 days, if you are let go, you're owed severance. And the consistent things with these three or four individuals that I spoke with was the fact that, no, they were not on probation. They did not sign something that limited or or that gave up their entitlements in the first three months. So they were owed severance. So you may be listening and say, okay, well, let's agree and say that they're owed severance. They worked there for two or three months. They're probably not owed much, right? Wrong. In virtually every case, they were owed north of 
two months pay. Wow. <laughs> and these are John individuals that have worked for two or three months and they were wrote about two, even three months of severance. And that is because of the fact, and we know this, that short service employees are treated disproportionately better than long service employees. Mm-hmm. So the lesson here is very, very important and it applies to employees, applies to employers, is that it, it, you're not on probation unless you sign an agreement that specifically puts you on probation. It's not automatic. And if you are let go in the first 90 days, 60 days, 30 days, whatever it is, unless the agreement, employment agreement says otherwise, you're owed severance. And that is a substantial amount. If you find yourself in that situation, whether you're let go after 90 days or 590 days, doesn't matter. Give me a call because we have to make sure you get everything that you're owed. What do you say to the employer who says, okay, Leo, Leo, I'm going to go one step better and be smarter than you. I'm going to go for a 60 or at least a six-month probation. How about that? Because I'm still not sure about my employers, employees. Well, the reality is that that having a, a six-month, four months, really anything more than three months probation is meaningless. And the reason for that under our employment standards legislation, the only period of time during which an employee can be let go without compensation is in the first three months. And then, of course, only if they sign an employment agreement to that effect. So to say that we can let you go in the first four or five or six months without any compensation because you're on probation is illegal. You can't do that even if you sign something like that. So for all practical purposes, probation can really only last three months, 90 days, and only if an employee signs an employment agreement that says that. So the lesson, of course, is you may not actually be on probation despite what you may think. So what else you got going on, pal? I spoke with the lady that uh, pre-COVID had always worked in uh, the office, regular mm-hmm. job. During COVID, her and her colleagues started working remotely exclusively like so many people. Well, during COVID also, she and her family said, well, if I'm going to work remotely, why don't I relocate? We want to buy a house. There's, uh, you know, there's better values for properties further away from, from the city. So she spoke to her employer and said, listen, I, I want to move. I'm going to probably move about an hour and a half, two hours away. Is that going to be a problem uh, with work? said, no, you're going to continue working remotely. There's no issue. Cool. So have at it. No problem. She did that. Fast forward about a, a year, uh, just over a year later, very recently. Her employer said, well, we've changed our policies. Now we expect all employees to come back to work in the office at least three days a week including you, uh, this lady that I'm talking to. And she's, of course, saying, well, wait a second. I moved. You knew that I moved. You said to go ahead and do it. I'm not going to be able to commute two hours each way to get to work. Mm -hmm. Employer says, well, that's too bad. That's our policy. It applies to everyone. So obviously very upset, very concerned. She called me, and she wanted to know what does this mean. So if her employer had not agreed, John, that she can move and had not given her the okay, but she did it anyway, That would be her issue. Her employer is allowed to require her to come back to work. But her employer agreed that she can move, agreed that it's not going to impact her job. Now they can't go back on that. So what does this mean? That means that if her employer doesn't back off and uh, requires her to come in, she doesn't come in. If she's let go because of that, she is owed severance. Her employer cannot say that that's misconduct. Her not cannot say that it's terminating her employment for cause. And for her, that probably means, given the years of employment, somewhere around 13 or 14 months of pay. So bottom line is, if you had a deal with your employer that you're going to continue working remotely, even post-COVID, they can't really go back on that. They can't. 
uh, and if they do, there's going to be consequences, including you are going to be owed compensation if you lose your job. A deal's a deal, especially when it comes to something as important as working remotely. So if you find yourself in a similar situation, and a lot of people have recently, we need to talk about it because, yeah, it's not right for the employer to just decide to change things unilaterally. Does it matter that when this agreement was first put forth before the employers said, no, you're coming back, does it matter if she had it in writing or not? Is a verbal good enough? Verbal is never good enough only because an employer can say, well, no, I never said that. Right. And then it becomes a he said, he said, she said. And luckily, in this case, the employer is not denying that it said that. It's just simply saying, well, I've changed my mind. Yeah. But it's always a good idea. If you're going to have an agreement, a deal, if you will, with your employer, make sure it's in writing. And it doesn't have to be a written, signed document. It could be as simple as you, the employee, sending an email to your employer confirming what was agreed to. So employer confirming that we've agreed that I can continue working remotely. And because of that, there's no issue with me moving two hours away. Full stop. Thank you. Goodbye. That's all you need. That's good enough. But my general rule is if you can get something in writing, get it. You will never, ever regret doing it. Again, 416-870-6400. You can call us now and talk to us. Let's get into our first point for uh, for today's show before we get into a wee break. Your employer is probably making these mistakes. Number one, and this is good for employers, not only employees, but good for employers, of course, fired for cause or suspend employees because of their vaccine status. Wow, have you had the phone calls of plenty when it comes to this, huh? Holy cow, John. Over the past <laughs> six, seven months, since about you know August or so, yep. uh, I have been getting calls, emails nonstop across the country, probably thousands of employees telling me that I've been suspended or I've been let go for cause, no compensation because of my vaccine status. Now, what I'm about to say has nothing to do with views on vaccine. It's simply to do with, with law and employment law. Bottom line is this, to kind of make things short, if your employer lets you go and doesn't compensate you, doesn't pay you severance, because of your vaccine status, that's a wrongful dismissal. If your employer chooses to have a vaccine policy, fair enough. But they can't avoid paying you severance if you are let go because of it. By the same token, an employer that suspends you or puts you on an indefinite leave because of your vaccine status is considered in law to have terminated your employment. And because of that, they're owed, they owe you severance. And the, the mistake that employers are making is they're assuming that because they've implemented a policy, they're allowed to let go someone without severance. Absolutely not. They have to pay severance. And these employers are incurring these massive liabilities, uh, huge, huge liabilities. I'm, I'm representing already hundreds of people across Canada. If you're ever in that situation, if you lose your job, we need to talk about it because, yeah, you do have rights. You do have entitlements. Just getting this uh, topic warmed up. We'll take a short break and get right back to it. Employment Law Show, lots more on the way. Stand by. And we're back at it. Thank you so much for sticking around. we got so much more to talk about, and you can contribute as well, as we always invite you to call in and make the show that much better, 416-870-6400. Email help at employmentlawyer.ca. I want to remind you as well, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, the website built just for you, free and anonymous, loads of employment law information, Stuff you could just, you know, browse at your leisure, but you actually should know most of this. So if you got some time, spend some time at that website and check out the severance pay calculator there as well. Pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Topic for the day, your employer is probably making these mistakes. Doesn't matter if they're a big, small, multinational. They all screw up at some time. The next one is this. They don't properly investigate and resolve workplace harassment issues. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. 
It, it is a mistake. It's a common mistake, John, and it's a big mistake because the law doesn't take kindly to employers that don't meet their obligations when it comes to dealing with workplace harassment. That's a serious issue, and, and employers have a serious role in eradicating harassment. And the mistake that I often see is employers simply saying, well, it's not my problem, you know, boys will be boys or girls will be girls and, and you know, we'll, we'll let you guys figure it out. I have yeah. better things to worry about. Nonsense. Ridiculous. Uh, the reality is that an employer must uh, investigate any time that it becomes aware of harassment, whether it's a, a formal complaint or they kind of hear about it through the grapevine. They have to take it seriously. They have to investigate. And if it turns out that there's even some remote legitimacy, they have to do whatever they need to to eradicate the issue. They can't just avoid it. And anytime an employer avoids the issue, they may end up having employees going off on leave. That may result in a constructive dismissal with the employee that's a victim of harassment. It could become a human rights violation. It's a breach of the Employment Standards Act. I can keep going. So it's a big, big deal. So bottom line is this. If you're an employee and you're dealing with bullying, harassment, or a poisoned work environment, you can and you should tell your employer about it, whether it's HR, the owner, whoever the right person is in your workplace, and, and turn the spotlight on them, make it their obligation to deal with it. If you find that they're making the mistake of not dealing with it or not dealing with it properly, give me a call. Oftentimes, I can deal with it or, or make them deal with it or there's other ways that we can get you out of that workplace if it's really bad. So there's a lot that can be done, but it's a huge mistake, John, for an employer not to deal with workplace harassment, workplace bullying issues. Big mistake. Yeah, and if you want to reach out to Lior, employee or employer in that regard, never hesitate. one 821 5900 Fantastic crew ready to uh, deal with your issues and have a chat. We're talking about times your employer is probably making these mistakes. Another one is put employees on a temporary layoff. Like this hasn't happened a few times in the last two years. This has probably been one of the biggest mistakes. It's, it's unbelievably huge that it's happened over the past uh, two plus years. Now, we're talking about mistakes. We're not talking about things that employers are doing because they're bad, because they want to hurt employees. That That's not a mistake. We're talking about right. mistakes here, things that employers are doing, believing probably that they're allowed to, when in fact, that's a, that's an error. And that is a huge example when it comes to uh, temporary layoffs. I know for a fact that employers believe, yeah, we have a right to put someone on a temporary layoff, especially now during COVID and you know over the past two years. Well, no, that is a mistake. Even with COVID, an employer does not have the automatic or the unilateral right to put an employee on a temporary layoff. That gives the right to the employee to treat it as a termination. If you're an employee and you've been put on a temporary layoff, you can accept it and wait. Sure, that is your right. But you can also treat it as a termination. You have that right as well. That means that your employer now has to pay you severance. And there's been countless employers, John, over the past two years uh, that have laid off employees and then realized, wow, we owe severance. We could owe each employee as much as two years pay. And they weren't aware of that. They weren't prepared to have to write a check like that. Well, the reality is that that's what happens. So employers have to be aware of that. They have to understand what their legal obligations are. Uh, and, and they can't just lay off someone temporarily. If they do, again, that could come with significant legal consequences. Frank, thank you so much on this uh, lovely day for hanging on for a few minutes. Uh, moments. What's uh, what's on your mind, pal? 
Hey, thanks. I've uh, been listening to Lior for quite a while, and I'm, I must be missing something because essentially, from an uh, employer perspective, it sounds like you really probably could never let someone go, or so why would anyone ever leave even at retirement age? But there has to be something because otherwise, why would anybody ever retire? They would just wait for severance. Good question. Well, people will retire because they don't want to work anymore. Like me. Right? They, 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 you know, I, I'd retire tomorrow if I could. You know what I mean? It's not that. It, it's people retire because they either they can't or they don't want to work uh, anymore. And that's where they do it. Uh, so, I mean, people retire all the time. But the reality is if, if it's not the employee's choice, if the employee wants to continue working, if the employer chooses to let the employee go, unless the employee did something terrible – then you're right. The employer does owe severance, 100. Uh, percent But that doesn't necessarily mean that employees don't retire. I mean, certainly we, we've had, especially with an aging population, uh, one of the reasons we have a lot of shortage of, of workers right now is because of a lot of individuals having retired. Makes sense, Frank. Yeah. It, no, I, I I fully understand. But I, it just sure everybody's going to retire and wants to retire. But why not? Wait to get the, the the additional package before you retire, and 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 force your employer to let you go. Because well, but why would the employer let the employee go if the employee is doing a, a, a good job? If the employee wants to is able to continue working, why would the employer let them go? Right? I mean, there, there would be no exactly. reason for that. No, exactly. That's the caveat. But as we all get slower, and you know, as we diminish a little bit as we get older. Um, you may not be doing the job as well as you can, but again, from an employer perspective, seeing as that it's essentially difficult to let anyone go for cause, there'd be, you know, it, you may as well just wait for that. Oh, Even I if think you want to retire. Frank, are you assuming that eventually you're going to get, you, eventually it's going to come down the pike that they're going to let you go anyway because of your age and you can't perform, so just hang out for a severance package? I don't, I don't think that's a, that's, that's a proper way to, or at least a, a trustworthy way to, to go, right, Lior? If that's, if that's what Frank's kind of, kind of saying. Yeah, I mean, certainly if an employee can't do their job, then there's ways to deal with that and there may be a duty to accommodate as well. But I, I don't think employees really look at it that way. I think employees, are going to work as long as they're able to work. If they're not able, and then if they don't want to work, they, they'll, they'll not work anymore and they'll retire. So I don't think it's a, it's a really an issue. Uh, I, I think uh, employers have to pay severance if they let the person go. Uh, most employees are not going to avoid working and somehow try to manipulate their employer into paying them severance. Your employer is probably making... These mistakes, another one is don't properly use employment agreements or don't have employees sign agreements on time. Now, this is not bad for the employee, but for the employer, not a good call. Sir, so it depends, you know, if we have our employee hat on or our employer hat on, the answer would be whether an or the question will be whether an employment agreement is good or bad for the employer. Having an employment agreement is the best thing they can ever do in terms of uh, the employer's rights. Flipping it over to the employee, not having an employment agreement, best thing you can ever do. So if you're an employee, you don't want to have an employment agreement. You'd rather sign something on the back of a napkin at the coffee shop or better yet, have a handshake deal. That's 10 times better than having a 10-page employment agreement because that employment agreement would take away rights that you would have automatically. Bad idea. But for employers, a lot of mistakes is they don't understand that and they don't 
uh, have employment agreements or they don't or they don't utilize them properly or maybe they realized when it's after the employee starts that they should have one they get the employee to sign one but they never give the employee anything in return for signing if you're already an employee and your employer wants you to sign a, a first or a new employment agreement they have to give you something in return for signing a signing bonus a pay raise a promotion and employers that don't do that even if they have their employee sign that agreement that agreement is not enforceable so for employee never ever ever ask for an employment agreement okay yeah. for an employer yeah if you if you're smart you really want to utilize it properly and with that we will get into a, another call for sure Doug thank you so much for taking the time today how are you hey Doug hello hey you're on air yeah. how are you pal I'm good how you doing beauty what's on your mind well I, I uh, signed up the company about a year ago and um, they had me sign an employment agreement that stated that I could not work uh, any other opportunities outside of my Monday to Friday uh, hours with them. Um, I was previously self-employed, had a good business, the pandemic kind of took the legs out of it. And uh, anyways, a couple clients wanted to come back on. And uh, so anyways, I, I approached them to ask them if I'd be able to take on these couple of clients, maybe on a weekend or an evening. And it was kind of stonewalled. Um, no, you can't do that. You have to stick the agreement. Is there anything that I can do? No, as a practical again, listen, I haven't seen the agreement, but as a practical matter, if the agreement says that you agree not to to do any other work uh, while you're working for us, in other words, we we need we expect your full attention and loyalty to be with us. If that's what it says, if you're gonna do it anyway, then you're taking a big risk, and potentially that could allow the company to let you go for cause. Now, if you're gonna be doing work on evenings or weekends that has nothing to do with this company. So let's say uh, you work in a manufacturing plant, just as an example, and you work on in McDonald's on the weekend, just as an example. Well, it's going to be very difficult for your employer to to do anything about that because one has nothing to do with the others. On the other hand, if if you're going to do something that's remotely even related to the company that you work for, and they have already said in the agreement, no, you can't do that, that's going to be a huge problem, okay? And, and that... If if you do that and they know about it, that could be cause for dismissal. So I I would certainly urge you to be very careful with that. If you really want to, I would have that conversation. I would try to convince them. But if they ultimately say no, it's going to be a problem if you do it anyway. Got it. Got it. Thanks very much. Thank you, Doug. No Appreciate the uh, taking the time today. Want to reach out further? You uh, can do so anytime. One eight five five eight two one. 5,900 is how you do that. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Next one on this point, things employers need to know. And quite often they don't is this. They don't take the time to figure out how, oh, pardon me. No, I want to go back to this one first. It's more important. Don't try hard enough to accommodate an employee's medical limitations. Again, this is something that has come up quite often, uh, especially in the last couple of years, right? Absolutely. An employer has a very strict legal obligation to accommodate your medical limitations. And as outlined by your doctor. Your doctor may say you need modified duties, modified hours. An employer has to figure out a way to make it happen. And some employers say, well, you know, that's going to be a bit of a pain or that's going to not going to be easy. So we don't want to do that. No, that is a mistake. And that is beyond a mistake. That could be a human rights violation. That could also result in a constructive dismissal. So the law understands that this accommodation may not be easy always for the employer. Despite that, you have to do it unless it's so difficult, so hard that it's just almost impossible to do. Uh, and in my experience, a lot of employers don't want to, they don't try hard enough, and they find themselves on the wrong end of, of a human rights violation. 
So bottom line is this. If you have a doctor's note that says you need some accommodation, some help because of a medical condition, your employer has to accommodate. They don't have a right to know what the medical condition is. They can't demand that you get a second opinion from another doctor. They have to figure out that accommodation. If you find that your employer is not doing that, we need to talk, okay? That's that's illegal, and that is a mistake that I, that I see, John, quite often. We'll continue. This is the Employment Law Show. This is Lior Samfiru, co-founding partner, Samfiru Tamarkin, LLP. They are the most positively reviewed law firm in the country, always on this station, always answering questions. So, yeah, reach out, 416-870-6400. Email anytime, help at employmentlawyer.ca. And the website was built just to uh, to help you and educate you anytime, Pocket Employment Lawyer. Uh, .ca, we're going to continue our conversation about uh, things that employees are probably mistakes that they're making they might not even realize. Next one is this. They don't pay overtime even when they should. Well, what a, a common, common mistake. And, and this is a, a mistake that I think is, is very prevalent. Let's put it that way. Uh, so bottom line when it comes to overtime, uh, overtime is paid even if you're a salaried employee. So not just an hourly employee. So that's a mistake right there. A lot of employers don't pay overtime to salaried employees. They think, well, that's just for, for those people making hourly. You're on a salary, so we're not going to pay that. Mistake, because overtime is paid to you if you work more than 44 hours a week. Even if you are on a salary, you have to get time and a half for those hours. The other common mistake is that employers think that they only have to pay overtime if they asked the employee to work the overtime. Wrong. That's a mistake. If the employee worked the overtime because they needed to work to get it done, even if the employer did not tell them to or ask them to or even want them to, despite that, overtime has to get paid. You still have to get paid for that overtime. And the employer can't say, well, I'm not paying it. I didn't tell you to do it. So that's on you. Wrong. That's a breach of the Employment Standards Act. And the employer has to pay overtime. So, yes, I see that happen very, very often when it comes to uh, to overtime. Now, unlike when you lose your job, when I say always, you cannot go to the Ministry of Labor if you lose your job. When it comes to overtime, you can and you should. Right. So the Ministry of Labor can help you get overtime pay that's owed to you, can order your employer to pay properly, can penalize an employer that doesn't comply with its overtime obligations. So remember, hourly, salary, uh, senior, junior, uh, whether you've been asked to do it or not, you get paid overtime. Of course, there's a positions that are exempt from overtime. Most common one is a manager. Yep. A manager does not get paid overtime unless an employment agreement says otherwise. There's some other positions, professionals, lawyers, doctors, engineers, uh, a couple other professions, IT professionals. But for most people, yeah, you get overtime if you work more than 44 hours. And that's a very common mistake. Employers not realizing and not paying that. Another common mistake they make is, uh, you know, they don't take the time, and this one's a costly one, to figure out how much severance they actually owe what's soon to be an ex-employee. That is a common mistake, and it's probably the most costly. In terms of actual dollars, this is the most costly mistakes that employers make without even anything being close to it. And employers often believe, very often in fact, that severance is a week per year, so if I let you go, I'll pay you a week or maybe two weeks per year. They may go online and they, they read something uh, through Google that, that says that wrong, wrong, wrong. They don't take the time. They don't make the effort to understand that their obligations are significantly higher. 
So they let an employee go, paying them three weeks pay because they think, you know, you work for three we- three years, you pay him three weeks, not realizing that the obligation, in fact, is six months or maybe eight months, maybe even more, depending on the person's age and position. So in light of uh, that, that ends up with a wrongful dismissal. So you may have good employers that, that want to comply with the law, not actually taking the time and putting in the effort to figure out what their obligations are and wrongfully dismissing employees. Now, for the employee, this means that you have to assume that your employer is actually making this mistake in over 90%, 90% of cases. When someone is let go, even by a very good and honest employer, the payment that they're made or the payment that they've been offered, the severance offered, is a lot less than what the person is actually owed. The difference can be months and months of pay, tens of thousands of dollars. So you have to assume that that is correct. And for employers and employees, how do you find out what is the right amount? Well, there's a number of things you can do. You can call me, I'll tell you, but you don't even need to necessarily. You can grab your smartphone, your tablet, your desktop, whatever you want. As John said at the beginning of the show, just go to pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. Again, it's pocketemploymentlawyer.ca and use our severance calculator tool. It's as simple as that, it takes seconds, it's free, it's anonymous, you don't have to put in any identifying information or or phone number or credit card numbers, nothing like that. But you can find out in seconds how much severance is owed, owed to you as an employee or that you owed as the you owe as the employer. So check it out and by the way, even if you're not losing your job but you're you're curious or you're maybe worried that something may happen at some point, how much are you going to be owed? Mm-hmm. Check out our severance calculator, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. But John, this is a massive, costly, and very common mistake that employers make. Now, it's, it's one that's so easily rectified. As you said, just it takes a couple of clicks at pocketemploymentlawyer.ca, and both employees and employers will uh, will be wiser and know exactly what their obligations are, and they can prepare for it, right? No reason not to do that. And you know, Google can be a, a great tool. I mean, listen, I use Google all the time to, to look up various things but not when it comes to understanding legal rights, not when it comes to understanding legal obligations. There's so much misinformation, and even in the information that is correct uh, uh, through Google, you have sometimes, you need some context to understand it. You know, the, the devil's in the details. So simply saying, well, I saw on Google that uh, it says a week per year. Well, that's wrong. It's not that at all. So you have to do, a, you have to do better than that if you're an employer, uh, and if you don't, again, you'll find yourself, unfortunately, on the wrong end of a wrongful dismissal claim. Next on the list of uh, mistakes that employers are probably making, uh, and this one's interesting too, they don't enforce their own policies. What about that? Yeah, so it, it's nice to have policies, right, for, for employers. You have to have policies, and uh, some policies you have to have by law, other policies uh, it's a good idea to have, you know, whether it's policies surrounding use of computers and policies about uh, behavior in the workplace and whatever it is, it's good to have policies. But if you don't enforce those policies, you, you know, you have them, but you let employees kind of do what they want and yeah, whatever, I'll kind of look the other way. That's fine. But if you do that, you're considered to have condoned that breach of policy, the behavior of the employee, and then you can't really rely on that policy. So I'll give you an example. So let's say you have a computer use policy that says you can only use computers for work purposes uh, while you're at work, which I think is a very good policy to have. But you have employees that are using it for all kinds of things. They buy stuff on eBay or Amazon or they do their social media. Fine. 
and you're like okay i'll be i'll be good with that so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna give him a hard time okay well at some point you say you know what now it's starting to bug me now i'm gonna say well you you better do it well not so fast because you've now created a, a new situation where it's okay for the employee to do whatever they want on the computer because you didn't follow your own policy so if you don't follow your own policy and then all of a sudden you change your mind, it becomes very difficult. You essentially have to start from scratch and it makes life very, very complicated for the employer. Very common mistake. So my advice always for employers is if you have a policy in place, whatever it is, a workplace policy, you should follow it. You should be strict about it. You should enforce it. Uh, that is the way to do it. And unfortunately, employers don't do that, and it's a mistake that they make. That may be good for employees, don't get me wrong, but for employers, yeah, that is certainly a big mistake. We'll continue. Employment Law Show. Got uh, Helen standing by. Hi, Helen. Uh, how are you? Good, thank you. I'm calling with a question regarding a contract. Um, I'm a longtime listener. I love the show. And last year, I was given the opportunity to sign a new contract. I'm an employee of about uh, just over 10 years. And at that time, I chose not to sign it because I had heard on the show about, you know, looking out for uh, paragraphs regarding severance. And sure enough, mm. there was a paragraph regarding severance, limiting my severance to three weeks per year. And so that's why I chose not to sign it. It's never too late to sign on to the new agreement because the company is offering uh, something in lieu of that. Uh, so in lieu of that change to the contract, they are giving a new RSP um, contribution um, plan that we never had previously. But the reason I chose not to do it is because of the severance and because during COVID, I thought maybe they're going to close us down, shut down our location. And that doesn't look likely now. I'm just wondering, uh, because I'm having second thoughts, with um, the option of the RSP, if they deposit my bonus money directly into there, I it's, it's done pre-tax, so it's a larger contribution that I'm able to make, and it's a benefit that way. I don't know what, I'm, what I should do. Well, that's more of a, of a kind of financial and practical consideration that, that you have to, uh, to keep in mind. From a legal standpoint, what would happen is if you were to sign this, and let's say the next day, the next week, whatever, they decide to let you go for whatever reason, not because they're shutting down, because they have a right to let you go. If you, again, I haven't seen the agreement, but if it says what it says, you'll be getting 30 weeks of severance, you know, 10 years of employment, instead of potentially a year severance or more than that, maybe more than a year. So there's a loss there. Now, obviously, if they don't let you go, it becomes a non-issue. So it comes down to your comfort level. All I'm going to say is that you are taking a risk, maybe for you, given what you get on the RSP front and how, what you know about the company. It's a, worth, it's a risk worth taking, but only you can answer that. The one advice I will say is this. You've identified the, the, the severance provision in the, in the contract. Ter terrific. I'm glad. But there could be other terms there that are problematic that may kind of weigh the scale one way or the other. So perhaps good advice is to give to send me a copy of the agreement for me to look at and say, is there anything else you need to worry about beyond just that severance term? If there is, then you may impact, it may impact your decision. Again, if there isn't, then you may have a different consideration. So I think you really want to send me a copy of it before you, you sign anything. Sounds good. Thank you so much for your help. I love your show. Uh, thanks, Helen. Appreciate you uh, listening. And here is uh, how you do that, by the way. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. Really simple. Help at employmentlawyer.ca. 
Uh, .ca, going to move on down the line to, uh, to Marianne. Hi, Marianne. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Fantastic. Thank you so much for, uh, for holding on for a moment there. What's, uh, what's your concern? Um, I'm an office manager in a small little dental office. I have about 13 employees. And I had an employee email me one day to say that she could no longer uh, come to work because she, um, for medical reasons, she had to have a few tests done, which was fine. And then she did show up at the office and she said she had to see a couple of doctor appointments, so she got the time off. Then I received an email from her stating that she had to fly out of country for family reasons and uh, her return flight would be about a month. So I responded in an email saying, hope everything's fine. Uh, that was over a month ago and we have yet to hear back from her and she hadn't responded to any of my emails. What is our obligation to bring her back? Do I reach out? Do I wait for her to reach out? Just wondering what our obligations are to this employee. Sure. So, Marianne, first of all, uh, she may right now be on an unauthorized leave. So what you need to do is to send an email saying that uh, I'm not sure exactly the purpose of your leave, so you have to let me know. But what I do need is I need a doctor's note confirming whether you're able to work. And, right. you know, please, I would give her a few days to respond. If you don't get a response or a response or a satisfactory, I'd write again, give her a few more days. And if okay. that doesn't work, you may be in a position to say, you know, we, we have to terminate employment. So you, you want, you know, having to go off work from uh, or off to, out of the country for medical reasons in and of itself is not, or not for medical, for family reasons, in and of itself right. is not good enough. Now, if she was caring for a family member that was sick, like a parent, for example, she may be uh, given uh, the right to have a leave of absence. But you need to know that, right? She can't just say, I'm off and I'll let you know when I'm back. That's so you right. need to ask that question or get mm -hmm. a doctor's note. But one of those two things has to happen. And if she doesn't provide that, she may be considered to have abandoned her job. Okay. All right. That's great. That's what I needed to know. Thank you very much. Very helpful. Uh, thank you, Mary. I appreciate that. Reaching out any further for a discussion with Lior, a member of his team, always there, one 821 5900 help at is that uh, email address. Let's get to uh, one more of our talking points before we wrap, pal. And these are things that your employer is probably doing or they could be. This is also a big one as well. Jump the gun when terminating for employment for cause, right? Huge, huge, huge mistake. And and the oh. mistake is that an employer assumes, well, the employee did something wrong. We know it. We can show it. We can prove it. Mm -hmm. That means we can let them go for cause and not pay them severance. When in fact, that is not the case. The fact that the employee did something wrong does not relieve you from paying them severance. For you not to have to pay them severance, in other words, for you to terminate for cause, the employer would have had to do something really bad, okay? It would be like, you know, the death penalty is only for those that, that committed severe crimes. Yeah. If you commit a, a crime, you're not going to get the death penalty, of course. Well, it's the same thing with termination for cause. It's the death penalty of the employment relationship, which means for the employee to be able to get that, they would have the employer would have to show that whatever the employee did made it impossible to continue employing them. So the employee not doing a good job on a project in and of itself is not cause. Now, if they've done that many times and you've warned them and they're not getting it, yeah, maybe. But not because they did something one time or they were late or maybe they didn't speak uh, properly. That's not cause. And oftentimes, most times I would say, in fact, employers terminate for cause believing that they don't owe severance when that's not the case and again that puts them on the wrong side of a wrongful dismissal claim so you have to understand as an employer 
that cause is difficult to establish. And as an employee, unless what you did is terrible, even if you're let go because of something wrong, you're going to be owed your full severance. There's no discount that the company gets because you did something wrong. It's an all or nothing situation, and you could be owed as much as 24 months pay. If you're let go for cause, you have to give me a call because you could be owed significant amounts. And that is a fantastic way to wrap it up for today. You can reach out now that we are done anytime. As mentioned, one 855 821 The phone number, email is help at employmentlawyer.ca and start with this website, pocketemploymentlawyer.ca. We'll catch you next time, Employment Law Show.